Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. So we're talking about Christmas access motions that have gone on for generations. Now, what is a motion and what is Christmas access? Well, Christmas access is simply trying to figure out that two-week period when the kids are off school, which of the two divorcing parents get which days of that holiday with the children. That's generally the case. And it gets even more finite than that, meaning for some people, December 24 and 25 is worth like four weeks in two days. And those two days are so significant because they carry so much emotional value for so many people. And then that goes up in premium when it's a recent separation and divorce because now the family is not together. They are apart. And each parent may want their child or children to spend it only with them or only with them and their side of the family. And this becomes very emotional and people get very passionate about it. So today's topic is Christmas access motions and how do we as practitioners not only deal with the issue of that, but how do we prevent it? How do we preempt it? And so let's start with you, Leanne, knowing full well that you've got a, a whole filing cabinet of cases, many of which involve minor children, and some of them don't have a parenting schedule in place that covers the Christmas holiday yet because it's a recent separation. So tell us about your experience with this. Well, certainly with clients that I have that I know, um, you know, are newly separated or don't yet have uh, a schedule in place for the holidays, it's something I try to be proactive about. So I reach out to them uh, much before now in, you know, October or beginning of November, um, you know, possibly even earlier uh, to discuss, to bring up the issue so that there's lots of time to try and resolve it in an amicable way. Uh, beforehand because nobody wants to be I, I know I certainly don't want to be in court on Christmas Eve or you know anywhere thereabouts and and I don't think clients do as, as well it that's stressful to not know what you're going to be doing with your children and when you're going to have them so it's something that we we know the holidays are coming um, it's not like it's a surprise every year so it's certainly something that we can proactively discuss with clients, offer proposals, and work out with the opposing party or the opposing counsel well, well, well in advance of the date. And so there are um, various um, versions of this that I have witnessed over the last 30 years. Um, going back to my earlier years as a family law lawyer, um, you know, people would start emailing, not emailing me because back then we didn't have email, People would start calling me um, uh, in November or early December and say, you know, we, we, I want the children for New Year's Eve or for Christmas Eve or for Christmas Day. And uh, that would result in us, again, pre-email, writing a letter, faxing the letter to the other lawyer and back and forth. 
And that might go on for a couple of weeks until we realize, oh no, we don't have a resolution. And then we have to rush to court. And then we get to court in front of a judge on an emergency basis and we are arguing over it. And I remember back in the you know late 80s, early 90s, there would be lawyer on top of lawyer in the courthouse um, in you know the week prior to Christmas, arguing these motions on a wholesale basis. And the judges oftentimes were very frustrated because they had a similar attitude, which is like, figure it out parents or figure it out lawyers. And so sometimes what the judges would do is they would allow one case to be fully argued in front of the judge. The judge would berate both sides and make a ruling. And then the judge would say, okay, everybody go out in the hall and work it out. Because if you don't, and I make the ruling, someone is going to pay costs to somebody else. And oftentimes cases settle that way. So that was in the earlier years. And then as we moved forward, and certainly myself becoming slightly more wise and more sure about the practice of family law, I wouldn't wait for a client to call me in November, December. I would call them in August. And I would say, by the way, I know we're going to blink our eyes. And before you know it, it's going to be November and then December, and it's going to be Christmas. Let's not wait till the last minute. Give me your proposal for what Christmas will look like. And I will send it to the other side and try to work it out. And we would do that in August, September, October. Most of the time, we worked it out. And the cases where we could not work it out, we had ample time to get to court on a case conference in order to have the judge make recommendations on what that should be so that there was not going to be this horrible hiccup days before the Christmas holidays. No, and so I have personally found, sorry. No, go ahead. I had personally found that the volume of Christmas access motions has gone significantly down where you've got responsible, competent counsel foreshadowing future problems and preemptively resolving them before that time comes. And certainly um, there's going to always be those cases where somebody or a couple is newly, newly separated. So maybe they weren't separated in August or September or October, and maybe it's happened just in November. And, you know, so unfortunately we are closer to the, the Christmas date and, you know, there has to be some scrambling to work something out. But people you know in that situation should always be mindful that, that the best situation is something where you've worked it out with the other parents you really don't want a judge who doesn't know your family deciding who your children are, are going to spend christmas and christmas eve with it really is something you want to have some control over and try and work out with the other party and these, you know, this type of situation, because it comes up every year, uh, it's certainly, you know, possible to work out very fair resolutions because which, you know, however it's happening this year, it can be changed, you know, in the direction of the other parent for next year. So it's not like it's a one-time thing, um, you know, but I understand there's a lot of emotions surrounding the first Christmas 
um, the first set of holidays following separation. And you know, even for parents themselves, like the thought of not being able to spend that whole period of time with their children, it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to know that, you know, maybe you're not going to see them Christmas Eve, or maybe you're not going to be there Christmas morning when they're first opening gifts from Santa or how that's going to work. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not going to minimize how hard that is for parents, but the key thing is, of course, to focus on your children and what's best for your children. Your children don't need to have their parents fighting and being snippy with each other about what's happening. Focus on what's best for them. You know, do does one parent have in law have like a bigger family where there's grandparents and cousins and and it's been the tradition that christmas dinner is with all of them and if that's the case then i the parent who doesn't have that family should be mindful of that that maybe that's it's good for the children to be able to continue that tradition and have christmas dinner with all of their extended family so maybe it's better for that parent to have the children christmas eve or christmas morning and but just keep the focus on the children and what's best for them and understand that you you know you are gonna it's hard it's it's emotional and it's hard to be away from your children on these important holidays for any period of time and i really love the fact leanne that you have turned a problem into not only a solution but the philosophy of how to handle the solution and it's the philosophy and the thinking that oftentimes either drives conflict or drives resolution and so to your point, Leanne, about those freshly separated couples where the emotions are raw and it's Christmas and they are territorial about the child. And it could be very uh, unique circumstances, like it's the very elderly grandmother that's going to be there and she might not be there next Christmas. Or, or, you know, this is the year that, you know, everybody is flying into Vancouver to be together and the couple in Ontario is now recently separated and the, the the wife which is the sister of the entire family that's going to be in vancouver wants to take the kids to vancouver it just so happens that they just recently split up and so it's moments like this where there are these exigencies that could never have been predicted in advance um not the separation not the circumstances um and it creates a significant level of heightened anxiety and that oftentimes is matched by the other person's anxiety because I have to tell you, one of the hardest things for the recently separated, and this applies to you and me as well, Leanne, the hardest thing for the recently separated is the first significant holidays in the first year following separation, being at home without your children. For many people, they've never had a Christmas, a Ramadan, a Hanukkah, without their children with them. And then, boom, it happens. And they are celebrating either with another family who have their kids over, and you are there without your kids. Or you are at home alone. You're at home alone on, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day. And maybe even worse than that, you're not speaking with your children because they're busy with the other parents. So now not only do you not see them and hug them and kiss them, you're not even speaking with them. So it, 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 it expounds the problem exponentially. And so these are very difficult moments and it's completely understandable why one would be 
uh, consumed with emotion and be very rights-based. I have the right to have the kids with me. It's understandable. And that's where we as lawyers come in and say exactly the brilliant wisdom that you just provided, which is there's going to be Christmas every year. And if this is the routine this year, then we'll deal with it next year. And between now and next year, we won't wait till the last minute. We will carve up every holiday in some manner that is completely reasonable and, and equitable. Um, and then I just want to jump on to another topic, which is we've got lots of families here that are interreligious. You've got one that's Christian and one that's Jewish, one that's Muslim and one that's Hindu. And they've got different holidays. And as crazy as it is, those are the easier cases. Why is it easier? Because one wants Vali and the other wants Christmas. One wants Easter and the other one wants Passover. And so it actually makes it that much easier. And I'm just going to draw on a sentence that I remember hearing repeatedly in the family courts in the heyday of emergency Christmas access motions. And it was something that's not all that brilliant, but we just heard it so many times. Judges would say, what kid would not want to celebrate Christmas twice? True. True, huh? You know, if you go to one parent on Christmas Day, 25, and you go to the other parent on Boxing Day, 26, and the child is able to hang out with both sides of the family, get double the gifts, and to not allow the conflict to consume and overshadow their holidays, that's a gift to the kids. Forget the actual material gift. The gift of love and the omission of conflict. Best gift you can give a kid in the throes of a divorce. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's why it's so important to focus on the children and not get, and, and, and to look at the bigger picture. Because as Steve just mentioned, I mean, yes, uh, if you celebrate Christmas, Christmas is on December 25th. But does it really matter if you're celebrating it on December 25th or December 26th with your children if all of the people that you wanted to be there for the celebration are there? Uh, you know, it, it's really just a number of a day. So, it's important to, to be creative and to, and to look at the big picture that way, rather than getting caught up in the, you know, the, the details and, and that you're right as a parent and you're gonna, you know, what, what is the other parent getting that you're not getting? And, t you know, I find often people when they're newly separated in particular, they tend to have this tit for tat kind of focus that if, you know, well, if my ex is getting this, what am I getting? I should be getting that. And, like that type of thinking is not helpful. It's not helpful to your children and it's really not helpful to resolving these types of issues. You know, look at the big picture and be creative. And uh, from a completely different perspective, I've seen cases where people have used Christmas strategically. What do I mean by that? You know, a couple splits up in September, October, November, and they they don't agree on what the parenting schedule should be. And I've seen too many of these cases over the last 30 years. Typical argument, mom makes. Kids cannot be with father overnight. They're too young. They're not ready. They are used to their own bedroom. Um, and so therefore, 
uh, visitation with dad should be daytime only or only once for the week, one night. Then Christmas comes. Some people have strategically brought Christmas access motion in order to obtain four, five, six, seven nights in a row with the kids overnight. So that after the holidays, the person can argue, the kids stayed with me for five nights, they were totally fine. Everything was good, there wasn't any negative reaction. It's almost like a, a litmus test or a probationary experiment which worked successfully. And it got the parents over the hump of the argument that the kids cannot sleep over. Now, I'm not recommending this. I'm not recommending that one treat Christmas as an opportunity to, uh, to take advantage of the moment and obtain a, an order, but I have seen it used actually quite successfully to eliminate a long-term conflict by showing that I'm off work, I'm at home, the kids can stay with me, and they'll be fine. And it serves, in some cases, on a voluntary, consensual basis as an opportunity to prove to the more anxious parent that they're going to be okay. And in other cases, where a judge orders it, um, that means if the judge is ordering it, for those that don't know, the case is already in court. If the case is already in court, they're going to likely come back in January or February to move on with the case. Well, if in December the kids were with both parents half the time, um, wouldn't that serve as a very good litmus test that the kids were able to transition back and forth successfully? And that eliminates a tremendous amount of conflict going forward. So there are some considerations here that are very relevant that may very well uh, help the parents um, not only give the kids a great Christmas holiday, but also eliminate what might be future conflict over what a parenting schedule should be. That's interesting. Um, you know, and another thing I think that sometimes happens is has to do with travel. You know, tr often people do travel over um, Christmas holidays. It's, a, you know, sometimes it's a custom within a family to do that. They go to Florida or, or wherever. And um, obviously, if you want to travel with your children, um, that may mean that they're not going to see the other parent at all over that time period. And so uh, something like that, again, is where I would tell a client to be very child focused. And, you know, it maybe this year isn't the year to, to travel, maybe because it's the, you know, the first Christmas uh, since separation, it makes sense for you to stay in town and to just divide up Christmas Day and Christmas Eve in some fashion so that both parents get time um, with the children rather than the children being away for an entire week with, with one parent. Again, it, it's very fact specific, depends on the situation, but it, the, the, the focus really is just on what is best for your kids. And if your kids are of a certain age, I mean, you could even get their input on some level. Um, I don't like to have kids driving these decisions because I think they're adult decisions and that puts a lot of pressure on children sometimes to be expressing their opinion or their voice. But if they're of a certain age and they're, you know, if they're in their teens, for example, they may very well, you know, want to say how they would like to spend uh, the holiday. And so it doesn't hurt in the right type of situation to get their input as well. Absolutely.
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.